0: Chapter 7 of Queer Little Folks. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dina Rhodes. Queer Little Folks by Harriet Beecher Stowe. Chapter 7 Hum, the Son of Buzz. At Rye Beach, during our summer's vacation, there came As there always will to seaside visitors, two or three cold, chilly, rainy days, days when the skies that long had not rained a drop seemed suddenly to bethink themselves of their remissness and to pour down water, not by drops, but by pailfuls. The chilly wind blew and whistled, the water dashed along the ground and careered in foamy rills along the roadside, and the bushes bent beneath the constant flood. It was plain that there was to be no sea bathing on such a day no walks no rides and so shivering and drawing our blanket shawls close about us we sat down at the window to watch the storm outside the rose bushes under the window hung dripping under their load of moisture each spray shedding a constant shower on the spray below it on one of these lower sprays under the perpetual drip what should we see but a poor little humming-bird, drawn up into the tiniest shivering ball, and clinging with a desperate grasp to his uncomfortable perch? A humming-bird we knew him to be at once, though his feathers were so matted and glued down by the rain that he looked not much bigger than a honey-bee, and as different as possible from the smart, pert, airy little character that we had so often seen flirting with the flowers. He was evidently a humming-bird in adversity and whether he ever would hum again looked to us exceedingly doubtful. Immediately, however, we sent out to have him taken in. When the friendly hand seized him, he gave a little faint, watery squeak, evidently thinking that his last hour was come, and that grim death was about to carry him off to the land of dead birds. What a time we had reviving him, holding the little wet thing in the warm hollow of our hands, and feeling him shiver and palpitate. His eyes were fast closed, his tiny claws, which looked slender as cobwebs, were knotted close to his body, and it was long before one could feel the least motion in them finally to our greatest joy we felt a brisk little kick and then a flutter of wings and then a determined peck of the beak which showed that there was sonic bird left in him yet and that he meant at any rate to find out where he was unclosing our hands a small space out popped the little head with a pair of round brilliant eyes then we bethought ourselves of feeding him and forthwith prepared him a stiff glass of sugar and water a drop of which we held to his bill After turning his head attentively, like a bird who knew what he was about and didn't mean to be chaffed, he briskly put out a long, flexible tongue, slightly forked at the end, and licked off the comfortable beverage with great relish. Immediately he was pronounced out of danger by the small humane society which had undertaken the charge of his restoration, and we began to cast about for getting him a settled establishment in our apartment. I gave up my work-box to him for a sleeping-room, and it was medically ordered that he should take a nap. So we filled the box with cotton, and he was formally put to bed with a folded cambric handkerchief around his neck to keep him from beating his wings. Out of his white wrappings he looked forth green and grave as any judge with his bright round eyes. Like a bird of discretion he seemed to understand what was being done to him, and resigned himself sensibly to go to sleep. The box was covered with a sheet of paper perforated with holes for purposes of ventilation, for even hummingbirds have a little pair of lungs and need their own little portion of air to fill them so that they may make bright scarlet little drops of blood to keep life's fire burning in their tiny bodies. Our bird's lungs manufactured brilliant blood, as we found out by experience, for in his first nap he contrived to nestle himself into the cotton of which his bed was made and to get more of it than he needed into his long bill. We pulled it out as carefully as we could, but there came out of his bill two round, bright, scarlet little drops of blood. Our chief medical authority looked grave, pronounced a probable hemorrhage from the lungs, and gave him over at once. We, less scientific, declared that we had only cut his little tongue by drawing out the filaments of cotton, and that he would do well enough in time. As it afterwards appeared he did, for from that day there was no more bleeding in the course of the second day he began to take short flights about the room though he seemed to prefer to return to us perching on our fingers or heads or shoulders and sometimes choosing to sit in this way for half an hour at a time these great giants he seemed to say to himself are not bad people after all they have a comfortable way with them how nicely they dried and warmed me truly a bird might do worse than to live with them so he made up his mind to form a fourth in the little company of three that usually sat and read worked and sketched in that apartment and we christened him hum the son of buzz he became an individuality a character whose little doings formed a part of every letter and some extracts from these will show what some of his little ways were Hum has learned to sit upon my finger, and eat his sugar and water out of a teaspoon with most Christian-like decorum. He has but one weakness. He will occasionally jump into the spoon and sit in his sugar and water, and then appear to wonder where it goes to. His plumage is in rather a drabbled state, owing to these performances. I have sketched him as he sat today on a bit of spiraea, which I brought in for him when absorbed in reflection he sits with his bill straight up in the air as i have drawn him mr a reads macaulay to us and you should see the wise air with which perched on jenny's thumb he cocked his head now on one side and then the other apparently listening with most critical attention his confidence in us seems unbounded he lets us stroke his head smooth his feathers without a flutter and is never better pleased than when sitting as he has been doing all this while on my hand turning up his bill and watching my face with great edification I have just been having a sort of maternal struggle to make him go to bed in his box but he evidently considers himself sufficiently convalescent to make a stand for his rights as a bird and so scratched indignantly out of his wrappings and set himself up to roost on the edge of the box with an air worthy of a turkey at the very least having brought in a lamp he has opened his eyes round and wise and sits cocking his little head at me reflectively when the weather cleared away and the sun came out bright hum became entirely well and seemed resolved to take pleasure in his new life with us our windows were closed in the lower part of the sash by frames with mosquito gauze so that the sun and air found free admission and yet our little rover could not pass out on the first sunny day he took an exact survey of our apartment from ceiling to floor, humming about examining every point with his bill, all the crevices, mouldings, each little indentation in the bedposts, each windowpane, each chair and stand, and as it was a very simply furnished seaside apartment his scrutiny was soon finished. We wondered at first what this was all about. But on watching him more closely we found that he was actively engaged in getting his living by darting out his long tongue hither and thither and drawing in all the tiny flies and insects which in summer time are to be found in an apartment in short we found that though the nectar of flowers was his dessert yet he had his roast beef and mutton chop to look after and that his bright brilliant blood was not made out of a simple vegetarian diet very shrewd and keen he was too in measuring the size of insects before he attempted to swallow them the smallest class were whisked off with lightning speed but about larger ones he would sometimes wheel and hum for some minutes darting hither and thither and surveying them warily and if satisfied that they could be carried he would come down with a quick central dart which would finish the unfortunate at a snap The larger flies seemed to irritate him, especially when they intimated to him that his plumage was sugary, by settling on his wings and tail, when he would lay about him spitefully, wielding his bill like a sword. A grasshopper that strayed in, and was sunning himself on the window-seat, gave him great discomposure. Hum evidently considered him an intruder, and seemed to long to make a dive at him, but with characteristic prudence confined himself to threatening movements, which did not exactly hit. He saw, evidently, that he could not swallow him whole, and what might ensue from trying him piecemeal he wisely forbore to essay. Hum had his own favorite places and perches. From the first day he chose for his nightly roost a towel-line which had been drawn across the corner over the washstand, where he every night established himself with one claw in the edge of the towel and the other grasping the line, and ruffling up his feathers till he looked like a little chestnut burr, he would resign himself to the soundest sleep. He did not tuck his head under his wing, but seemed to sink it down between his shoulders, with his bill almost straight up in the air. One evening one of us, going to use the towel, jarred the line, and soon after found that Hum had been thrown from his perch, and was hanging head downward, fast asleep, still clinging to the line. Another evening, being discomposed by somebody coming to the towel line after he had settled himself, he fluttered off, but so sleepy that he had not discretion to poise himself again and was found clinging like a little bunch of green floss silk to the mosquito netting of the window a day after this we brought in a large green bough and put it up over the looking-glass hum noticed it before it had been there five minutes flew to it and began a regular survey perching now here now there till he seemed to find a twig that exactly suited him and after that he roosted there every night who does not see in this change all the signs of reflection and reason that are shown by us in thinking over our circumstances and trying to better them it seemed to say in so many words that towel line is an unsafe place for a bird i get frightened and wake from bad dreams to find myself head downwards so i will find a better roost on this twig when our little jenny one day put on a clean white muslin gown embellished with red sprigs hum flew towards her and with his bill made instant examination of these new appearances and one day being very affectionately disposed he perched himself on her shoulder and sat some time on another occasion while mr a was reading hum established himself on the top of his head just over the middle of his forehead in the precise place where our young bells have lately worn stuffed hummingbirds, making him look as if dressed out for a party hum's most favorite perch was the back of the great rocking-chair which being covered by a tidy gave some hold into which he could catch his little claws there he would sit balancing himself cleverly if its occupant chose to swing to and fro and seeming to be listening to the conversation or reading hum had his different moods like human beings on cold cloud-gray days he appeared to be somewhat depressed in spirits, hummed less about the room, and sat humped up with his feathers ruffled, looking as much like a bird in a greatcoat as possible. But on hot sunny days every feather sleeked itself down, and his little body looked natty and trim, his head alert, his eyes bright, and it was impossible to come near him for his agility then let mosquitoes and little flies look about them hum snapped them up without mercy and seemed to be all over the ceiling in a moment and resisted all our efforts at any personal familiarity with a saucy alacrity hum had his established institutions in our room the chief of which was a tumbler with a little sugar and water mixed in it and a spoon laid across out of which he helped himself whenever he felt in the mood sitting on the edge of the tumbler and dipping his long bill and lapping with his little forked tongue like a kitten when he found his spoon accidentally dry he would stoop over and dip his bill in the water in the tumbler which caused the prophecy on the part of some of his guardians that he would fall in some day and be drowned for which reason it was agreed to keep only an inch in depth of the fluid at the bottom of the tumbler a wise precaution this proved for the next morning i was awaked not by the usual hum over my head but by a sharp little flutter and found mr hum beating his wings in the tumbler having actually tumbled in during his energetic efforts to get his morning coffee before i was awake hum seemed perfectly happy and satisfied in his quarters but one day when the door was left open he made a dart out and so into the open sunshine then to be sure we thought we had lost him we took the mosquito netting out of all the windows, and setting his tumbler of sugar and water in a conspicuous place, went about our usual occupations. We saw him joyous and brisk among the honeysuckles outside the window, and it was gravely predicted that he would return no more. But at dinner-time in came Hum, familiar as possible, and sat down to his spoon as if nothing had happened. Instantly we closed our windows and had him secure once more at another time i was going to ride to the atlantic house about a mile from my boarding place i left all secure as i supposed at home while gathering moss on the walls there i was surprised by a little green hummingbird flying familiarly right towards my face and humming above my head i called out here is hum's very brother but on returning home i saw that the door of the room was open and hum was gone now certainly we gave him up for lost i sat down to painting and in a few minutes in flew hum and settled on the edge of my tumbler in a social confidential way which seemed to say oh you've got back then after taking his usual drink of sugar and water he began to fly about the ceiling as usual and we gladly shut him in when our five weeks at the seaside were up and it was time to go home we had great questionings what was to be done with hum to get him home with us was our desire but who ever heard of a humming-bird travelling by railroad great were the consultings a little basket of indian work was filled up with cambric handkerchiefs and a bottle of sugar and water provided and we started with him for a day's journey when we arrived at night the first care was to see what had become of hum who had not been looked at since we fed him with sugar and water in boston we found him alive and well but so dead asleep that we could not wake him to roost so we put him to bed on a toilet cushion and arranged his tumbler for morning the next day found him alive and humming exploring the room and pictures perching now here and now there but as the weather was chilly he sat for the most part of the time in a humped-up state on the tip of a pair of stags' horns. we moved him to a more sunny apartment but alas the equinoctial storm came on and there was no sun to be had for days hum was blue the pleasant seaside days were over his room was lonely the pleasant three that had enlivened the apartment at rye no longer came in and out evidently he was lonesome and gave way to depression one chilly morning he managed again to fall into his tumbler and wet himself through and notwithstanding warm bathings and tender nursings the poor little fellow seemed to get diphtheria or something quite as bad for hummingbirds. We carried him to a neighboring sunny parlor, where ivy embowers all the walls and the sun lies all day. There he revived a little, danced up and down, perched on a green spray that was wreathed across the breast of a psyche, and looked then like a little flitting soul returning to its rest. Towards evening he drooped, and having been nursed and warmed and cared for, he was put to sleep on a green twig laid on the piano. In that sleep the little head drooped, nodded, fell, and little hum went where other bright dreams go to the land of the hereafter. End of chapter 7